Jesus and reach your destiny through Christ. I want to say thank you for the privilege of being able to stand here today and for the entrusting me and trusting me with the pulpit and the flock that is here today. And as we have heard before, we continuing with the, the topic of the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're going to look at pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and if you were here last week, Mom had everybody acting in, in the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but I want to go from a diff slightly different angle today. Um, and so, allow me to sketch a picture of how this unfolded. And so, if you look at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, this is where Jesus gives his disciples the Great Commission. It says, Jesus came up and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me and obey my word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstances, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Okay, so this is the last instruction that Jesus gives his disciples. And he transfers his authority to them. He says, I have appointed you. I am sending you. My authority rests with you. And then he says, all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, if we are going to follow Jesus, can some commentators would say, well, it stopped there because it was for the disciples of the time, etc., yeah, but he says, I'm with you till the end of age. So it is appropriate, it is applicable to you and I. The same instruction, the same commandment is true today. But then the question is, if we look at the, the world that the disciples went into, the transforming, the transformation that happened, wherever they went, lives were changed. Okay, we spoke earlier about being the front line. If we are acting on the front line, if we are buying to the fact that we are front lining, frontliners, then the community around us needs to reflect that change. Transformation has to flow from here. Because that's the authority that Jesus gave, gave us. The world around us should look different to the way it does currently. But then, in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, it says then, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Okay, so not only now has He given them authority to act on His behalf, He's empowered them. Okay, we have, we're a church that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. We pray in tongues. We, we acknowledge the Spirit. But too often, it is for our own benefit. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we leave here? And so, if 
you were to be promoted at work. Okay, your title wouldn't be official until the management, your boss, or whoever announced it and made it official. Okay, you'd have authority to assume your new role. Okay, and then they would give you, in your new position, your brief of what your, what your role is. Okay, and they would give you a budget and they'd give you whatever you needed to perform in that role. Okay, and so this is exactly what the process is unfolding here. Jesus has announced that, that he's given them the authority. He's then giving them the power. In your new role, you are probably going to get to the point where you need to be equipped, where you need to have different, a different skill set. And the company would have to invest in you to get there. And this is exactly where the gifts of the Spirit come in. Okay, if you go through Acts, when the, when the Holy Spirit came on, on the people at Pentecost, they all acted with the Spirit. Oh, with the gifts. Okay, not only, it wasn't just an amazing sermon. Okay, that brought 3,000 or 5,000 or however many thousands to Christ that day. But signs and wonders were evident. But the signs and wonders were incidental to everything else. They weren't going out there to go and heal the sick. In the presence of God, everything was happening. Salvation was happening. There was a people listening to a new way of life, to a new message, to a new hope, to a new life. But in the process, healing was flowing. And so, where in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to go to have a look at what these, what these gifts are, okay? And in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 40, 11, we're reading from the Amplified Version. It says, Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. But it is the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. And there are distinctive varieties of ministries and service, but it is the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive ways of working to accomplish things. But it is the same God who produces all things in all believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, the spiritual illumination, and the enabling of the Holy Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak the message of wisdom. To another, the power to express the words of knowledge and understanding according to the same Spirit. To another, wonder-working faith is given by the same Holy Spirit. And to another, the extraordinary gift of healing by one, by one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people. And to another, discernment of spirits, the ability to distinguish sound, Godly doctrine from the deceptive doctrine of man-made religions and cults. To another, various kinds of unknown tongues and to another, interpretation of tongues. All these things, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the empowering are brought about by the one and the same Holy Spirit, distributing to each one individually just as He chooses. I have a confession to make today. I am an introvert. You would never know it when I stand here. <laughs> but that is only by the grace of God. Okay, when I started in ministry, I merely thought I was a driver for God. I'd collect stuff and I'd take it to people who needed it. Um, God had other plans, okay. Um, but if you had told me then that I'd stand on a stage, I would never have taken the first load of stuff where it had to go. But that's not, the, that's not my confession. <laughs> um... I, for a long time, have applied the lager mentality. You know, in the old days, the foot trackers, when they were under attack, would make a lager to defend themselves. And they'd put their, their families and their loved ones in this lager, and they wouldn't let anybody in. And so I, I operate on the same basis. When I'm struggling, I'm not going to tell anybody. Can I scroll down on that recently? But that's not okay. But it's it's an issue of pride that stops you from sharing. 
And so I would consider, I would think of, I'm being strong. I'm keeping my family safe. I'm not going to let anybody know what my issues in life are. And why should I burden somebody else with my problems if they have enough of, any, of their own? And so my mission was to serve other people, but never allow myself to be served. And we do the same thing with God. Uh, I'm quite happy to come and preach the gospel to you. I'm quite happy to go to Lesotho, I'll go to Malawi, I'll go wherever he sends me to preach the gospel. But it takes a breakthrough into that lager that I've set up around myself for God to minister to me. And so, since then, I guess I've possibly learned to trust more people and I learned to share my struggles with people. And the more we share, the more we are able to trust people. If I walk around protecting myself from harm, I can't get close to you. I can't allow you into my space. But more importantly, I can't allow God into my space. Despite my protestations, despite me saying, I want more of God. The more I set up barriers, the more God has to struggle to get through. The more I have barriers around me, the more distant I, I, I create, the more space I make between me and God. And today God is here and whatever barriers you've come to church with, whatever's holding you back from just trusting Him. God wants to destroy them today. You see, this passage in Corinthians, and if you go read the first part of Corinthians, okay, it's a church that's in a disarray. It's a community that's broken. They've lost their moral compass. There is division, there's strife, there's fighting because one is saying I'm following this guy, one is saying I'm following that guy. And nothing is going according to the plan that God had for it. And into that space, Paul writes yeah, about the gifts of the Spirit. But you would think that if people have different gifts, different giftings, it's going to divide them even more. But it's for a common purpose. It is from a one spirit. And so if we're not serving God in the spirit, we are serving ourselves. Can too often churches sit in a situation where they have people who are serving for their own benefit. That Deacon Craig just invited you all to come and volunteer your services. But he did say go and pray about it. Okay, because you're going to serve out of a place of responsibility, obligation, duty, whatever. You're serving for the wrong reasons. And yes, everybody would like to have everybody serving. But as soon as the, the motive for serving changes from what the Spirit has called us to do, then division happens. And when division happens, dissent happens. And so, in this passage, he's saying that with different giftings, a unity is formed. Now, when we go to Lesotho, okay, each person who goes has a different gift. Ah, but the, there's a flow. There's a completeness to the ministry. Okay, without having one person having to stretch themselves into places they don't know, that they're not familiar with, there's a flow, okay? And even those who don't even know that they have a gifting or in the flow of the ministry are taken up by the flow of the ministry. The work that happens there is supernatural in its volume. Okay, because there's a serving, there's a united purpose, but there's one spirit who drives it. And any ministry that goes on wherever, whether it's in New Bethesda, wherever the people are going, okay, 
Once there's a unity in purpose and a unity in the spirit, the flow cannot be stopped. But not only that, the spirit is an energy. I don't know what we what we've made the spirit to be, okay, but where the spirit of God is, there's energy, there is power. Okay, it is it is inaccurate to say the spirit of God is present, but transformation doesn't happen. The Spirit of God is present, but we sit down and we worship like it's the, the last rites. Okay, there's energy in the flow of the Spirit. You see, the spiritual gifts is like an individual fingerprint, a spiritual fingerprint given to each person. Now, if I, if I said to you, do you know, can you identify somebody who has the gift of healing? We would all be able to identify somebody we know. And say, wow, that oak is amazing. He's got the gift of healing. You know, Prophet Jay has got the gift of prophecy, man. And so when Prophet Jay pro- prophesies, we want to be there. And so we have... Or when mom prophesies, we just want to sit down and listen. And we can all identify somebody who we can identify the different gifts in. But if I said to you today, just turn around and look at the people that you are with and tell me what each one's gifting is. Okay, but in yeah today, There's somebody who ought to be acting in the gift of healing. Okay, if you're speaking in tongues, if you're baptized by the Spirit, the, the gift of the Spirit is present for you. And so, can the person who has the, the gift of prophecy please put up their hand for me? Thanks, Pastor Wendy. <laughs> Can the person who has the gift of discernment please put up their hand for me? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We have the gifts present here. But each one of you has a fingerprint from God within you. The gift of radical faith. If we look at where mom and dad are today, okay, at this journey that they've embarked on has been one of radical faith. Or if, as they call it, obedient faith. Are you prepared to act in faith when it doesn't make sense, when it's not possible? But there are people here for whom that gift is destined. We have an amazing worship team. Um, we've watched so many musicians just blossom up here. Somebody who came along and said, I, I, I can play the guitar a little bit, I think. Okay, is now a, a talented musician. We have some incredibly skilled craftspeople here. Cabinet makers, woodworkers, whatever. But if you never produced anything as a musician, as a cabinet maker, how would people know? If you never sang a song, but you said, I'm a musician, or you only sang in the shower, okay, how... How will people know that you're a musician? If you don't share the gift, if you don't show people what God has given you, how will they know? If I don't make the piece of furniture with the the timber that I have, how will people know that I can put it together? 
How do I set the value on something that I, I can only tell people that I'm going to do? Would your, your situation look different if you didn't even have to invite people to church for healing? But you'll be able to heal them where they were. Would that be person be running next to you the next time you came to church? How many people are not being healed because they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed? But the person who has the key to unlock that healing is sitting at the table next to them. You see, when we share our spirits in bad gifts, we create a community unlike any other. If we want to call ourselves Frontline City Church, this needs to be the community that needs to change and transform the community around it. When the Holy Spirit came upon Pentecost, an entire community was changed in one day. <coughs> Sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't a series of events. It was just an event. When... Sorry. The bottom line is, we are all in ministry through the church for Christ. For those who sit at home and are saying, after COVID, I can worship Christ at home. It is in community that you flourish. It is in community that you're cared for. But it is in community that you're empowered. When we in Lesotho and one person steps up and flows in the spirit and flows in their gifting, the others automatically follow suit. The, the, the energy feeds each other. No one today sitting here is merely a consumer of God's word. You cannot sit here and say, wow, that was good. I've set my moral compass for the week. I'm going to go home and carry on doing what I'm doing. It was so nice to sit in the presence of God and I have a goosebump moment and go back and carry on with life as it was. There has to be transformation. There has to be renewal. Because you see, we become the distributors of the stuff we consume here. We such a with the, the promise of a gift. If we don't accept the gift, if we don't unwrap the gift, it's of no value to us or anyone else. Now, if you don't know what God has in store for you, you can't share it. But the keys. To seeing the miraculous power of God at work on a consistent basis is if everybody accepts the gift that Christ has given them. It will be sad if mom and dad are the only people who are here that people come to because they want healing. Because those days when they're not here, there's no healing present. Okay, you're right. That's not true. 
Okay, the healing is in the presence of God. The healing is in those who accept the authority that God has given them. The healing is in those who accept the power that God has given them. And the, the healing is in the, the fact that somebody has accepted the gift that God has given them. You see, the gifts, the Holy Spirit is given. Okay, it is a given. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. But the gifts are entrusted to you. To each one according to God's, God's thinking. And this is where the parable of the talents come in. We often use the parable of the talents um, in terms of material stuff. But if God has given you the gift, and the, the parable of the talents says, if you use it, it will be multiplied. If you bury it, he's going to, you're going to have to answer for that. If you choose not to open it, somebody has to account for that at some point. And so, when we look at Pentecost, those, those disciples were acting with all of the gifts were present in that space. And yeah, God said to you, I'll give you one. And if you're faithful with the one, I'll give you... I'll give you access to all of them as you need them. Okay, so each one already has the power. Each one already has the authority. Now it's about the equipping. Are you prepared to be equipped to be effective in your community? So let me share with you quickly how how Acts unfolds, okay? Because it's very fast what happens in Acts, if you read it. In Acts chapter 1 is the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, okay? And lives are changed, and everything's different, and everything's amazing. And what's the next thing that the, the disciples do, or the apostles do? Is they attend church in Acts chapter 3. Okay, so once the Spirit has fallen on them, the logical thing is for them to be in the house of the Lord. But what happens? As they walk up to the temple, they see the lame man sitting outside. And now, in another day, they would have thought it's okay because the man came for a sandwich and shame. He wants a, wants a couple of cents. We'll give him some money when we go out. Everything's going to be okay. But the, the spirit of is on them. And so they look at this man differently and they say to him, silver and gold have a none, but that which I have, I give unto you. What have you got to offer the world out there today? He says in the name and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, begin now to walk and go on walking. So not only are they going to church, but suddenly they're taking the layman into church with them. The person who saw church as a place where you get handouts, where you come because it's cold and you need new clothes or you're hungry and you're a sandwich, is now finding the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the healing of God, the power of God in his life. Why? Not because of who they are, but because of who God made them when he sent the Spirit on them. So when... When the Spirit is on you and the gifts of the Spirit are evident in your life, you see things differently. And then, in Acts chapter 4, the people threatened to arrest Paul or Peter and Simon because they're causing a nuisance. People are talking about them. People are saying these things are different. Okay, so, and then in Acts chapter 5, Okay, they stand up to, to the people that want to arrest them and they have a whole community who's praying for them and releasing them and supporting them. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 15, it says, To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and put them on cots and sleeping pads that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them with healing power. 
okay, obedience and faithfulness and the energy and the power and the authority of Christ is what is at, at play in his life. This community would be different if the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit would take it to the streets. So next Sunday when we come to church, I'm expecting to see a whole lot of beds on the pavement outside here. Because somebody's going to step up and say, but I have that gift. But you're not going to know until you test the waters. So, that means you actually would have to pray for the sick. You would actually have to speak a word of encouragement into somebody's life. And Habib, I just want to say, as a side note, thank you for sharing today. You spoke straight into my life. Um, but you, you won't know that until you do it. You won't know if the word you speak is effective or not until you speak it. How often do we sit and think, my friend's really struggling. What do I say to them? But you know, that I could work, man. He needs someone to pray for him. I wonder who's going to do that. Because, you know, it's going to be awkward if, if I ask him and he says no. Um, I wonder if he goes to church. I wonder if he has a pastor who can speak into his life. Because, you see, I don't want anything that's awkward. I like that logger mentality thing, you know, with me and God and other people. And I'm not prepared to, I'm not prepared to trust God enough to step out of my logger. You know, the first trip I did to Lesotho, I went as a, I get a tourist. Um, I went to have a look-see. And the guys I went with had a meeting, and at the end, they, they had an altar call. I was sure that's amazing, because all these, all these guys are speaking to the farmers, all these guys got down to see Jesus. And they've said to me, Freddie, will you pray a salvation prayer? I had no idea. Never prayed a salvation prayer in my life. Um, somebody led me through a salvation prayer. I didn't have to, didn't, didn't memorize the words. And suddenly I was put there on the spot and I had to pray a salvation prayer and I had to. But it was an act of faith because I was put on the spot. And God led me through there. Okay, and today I'm here and you have to listen to me. Oh. <laughs> If you won't pray a salvation prayer with somebody, how are you going to know? If you won't speak hope into somebody's life, how will you know? How many of you have heard of people being healed of cancer when they come to the presence of God? So if you know that God can heal cancer, Why are we not praying for those people we love who have cancer? Man, we will pray people through chemo. But some people, it's tough. But you're a survivor. God will get you through this. Because it's easier than saying, let me pray for you. Because I have a God who heals cancer. Let me journey with you through what you're going to go through. Because I'm too scared that I'm going to pray and nothing's going to happen. But that moment when you pray and something changes. You've done what God asked you to do. You see, throughout the New Testament and the lives of the apostles, 
It is evident that the gifts of the Spirit flow freely. So, somebody else is preaching a good sermon there. <laughs> um, the flow of the Spirit became the acceptable standard. And because there was a flow of the Spirit, the community expected it. It became the standard with which they served in the community. It would have been the most insane thing for the disciples or the apostles to go to church and not preach. Can you imagine? These guys rock up there at the at church and they sit in the back row. <coughs> and they listen to the teachers of the day. No, they walk in and there's a flow of the Spirit and there where people are sick, there where people are broken, there's restoration, there's healing. And because there's evidence of the flow of the Spirit, they get to be in the pulpit. Too often, we talk a good game. We're quite happy to tell God, people about this wonder-working God. But the evidence in our own lives is limited. You see, the flow of the Spirit is not there to just serve each other. I mean, what, a, what an amazing club it would have been or group it would have been if those 12 or 120 people, whichever, that were filled with the Spirit on Pentecost had their own church and nobody else was allowed in. <laughs> eh? It would have been awesome. It would have been a bit like some of the elite golf clubs. Okay. Um, but you had to pay a membership to get in, or you were only allowed in by invitation. But there would have been power, there would have been authority, there would have been everything, but nobody else would have known. And so God sent him to different places. You see, they weren't serving each other. The, the power of the, the gift of the Spirit was there to serve the followers. So when we ask God for the gift, it is not there because, you, you know, I, I'm struggling deciding between which Bitcoin or what. I need discernment, God. <laughs> okay, um, no, we, it is there because there's a time when discernment is necessary. You see, without the evidence of the Spirit, people would not have followed them. People followed Jesus because of what they saw Him do. And so, because His reputation preceded Him, they would come and listen to Him teach. Not the other way around. Okay, but we, we, we get it wrong. And sometimes the church is to blame for that. I want you to come here. I want you to sit and listen to my message. And then if you behave well and you sit well long enough and you're quiet and all the rest and you're not disruptive, I'm going to invite you for healing afterwards. But that should be the other way around. We, we, we bring people in. We see them walking with, from, from the car with crutches. Well, just go and heal them at the car so they can walk in freely. Because... We don't have parking place for crutches or we don't have parking place for wheelchairs. Would that... <laughs> so we are a Holy Spirit-filled church. Who here speaks in tongues? Can the rest of you watch your excuse? <laughs> We pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit in our services. We speak in tongues. 
see and sense the Spirit moving often. But where's the evidence? Where's the evidence of that? Surely when I go back to my family, I say, the presence of God was so real and it was awesome and you missed a great service and you should come next week. And they say, where's the evidence? Surely the evidence is in the transforming power in my own life. And when my life is transformed, I can be instrumental in taking the energy of the Holy Spirit to transform somebody else's life. But if I go home and it's same old, same old, Amanda's going to say, so what changed today? And so we filled with the same Holy Spirit that was present at Pentecost. We speak, speak in the same heavenly language that was revealed and released at Pentecost. It's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Yet we all have dead areas in our lives. Have we truly surrendered? to the Holy Spirit. Maybe, just as the Corinthians were, we are more conflicted and divided than we think. You don't have to go far to find people who choose not to speak in tongues. You think, oh, well, that, that's not for me. It's fine for, for them. It's fine for those who want it. Okay, but you know, I, I don't want to be looking silly or sounding strange in, in front of people that I either know or don't know. With the information era that we live in and technology the way it is, okay, there is a, a multitude of preachers and teachers that you can listen to. But you don't have to look far to find somebody who's going to have an issue with this preacher. And then somebody else is going to be have an issue with this teacher. And so we're going to sit down and say, I'm going to say, yeah, I was listening to this guy. Say, oh, no, no, not that. Okay, you've shut down the conversation. Because that preacher didn't speak the language that you wanted him to. And so we sit in church and we wait for the preacher to speak the language that inspires us. The language that makes us comfortable. And sends us off with a blessing. Not one who challenges you to surrender your life to Christ. Okay, so I expect next week there's going to be less people. No, 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 because mom and dad will be back, so it'll be fine. <laughs> okay, with the lockdown came the mentality that I can go to, I don't have to go to church, I can be just on fine doing church at home. In that time, it is what we had to do. But no man is an island on his own. At some point, the spirit will die out if you're not in community. It takes the spirit to fuel the spirit. There are a myriad of issues that divide churches and communities. And I'm, and I'm sure even if we sit here and we were to divide us into our home, home cells and we threw out the controversial topic and we said, how do you deal about it? And you gave feedback. There's going to be division and not unity. Our world is riddled with moral issues. The church in Corinthians 
had lost its moral compass, which is into that space that Paul wrote this letter. And he spoke about the gifts because it is a uniting factor. It's not about individual pride and ideas. It's about individually serving Christ. For many, we come to church week after week, waiting for our breakthrough. We sit here in this place where we declare and announce and experience the power of God. But our breakthrough doesn't happen. Our freedom from whatever's holding us back doesn't come. Our own healing, our own doubts, our uncertainties don't change. And so we go back and say, I can't serve until God's come through for me. Come on, I can't pray for healing until I have healing. And that's what the devil wants you to believe. And so we set the standard for God before we'll serve Him. And God is simply asking for total surrender and obedience. Not perfection. He does the rest. And so if we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again, and if you read the whole passage for after the gifts, Peter talks about the parts of the body being united and there's no... No, partic- no one's more important than the other. Um, trust me, you only know that your liver is important to you when it packs up. Okay, you only know that your toe is, a, is an issue when you bump it. Okay, so he, he talks about all that. And then, yeah, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 31. But earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and best gifts and graces, the higher gifts and the choicest graces. So he's inviting us into that place where we know what the gifts of the Spirit are. We don't know which one we have. But he's saying to you, desire it. Pursue it. Zealously cultivate an environment in which you can grow. This church is the place that needs to cultivate. But it cannot think and cultivate you unless we create an environment where it can be cultivated. And so when the new people come through the door next week because they've heard the sermon and they come in their droves and they're looking for a place where their gifts can be, be revealed, this has to be the place where it can be cultivated. Your home cell is the place that needs to cultivate the, the gifts of the Spirit. If you're looking for a safe place to find out what your gift is, then your home sells that place. Step out in faith and say, well, I want to lead next week. Step out in faith when there's people sick and say, let's pray. We don't have to phone the apostles. We don't have to phone mom and dad. Let's just pray. We trust God for healing because the Holy Spirit is within us. When somebody's struggling with an issue and... There's a word of wisdom, a word of encouragement, and it's on your heart. Speak it. Because you won't know until you show somebody. So I believe that so many of us are focused on our own lack, our needs or insecurities, just like I am with my logger mentality. I don't want you to know that I have problems. I'm okay. Everything's fine in the Dupria household, don't worry about us, but how can I help you? Okay, in that same process, I, I shut God out. And so in our lack, and in our shutting God out, it's difficult to comprehend the life that God has called us to. I never knew when I started 
in ministry, I was going to build a church in Lesotho. I never knew that you would equip five schools before that. But it was just a simple act of going once and then saying yes again. And so our life of faith is simply one of saying yes every day. You can't. So each day if you get up and you say, God, I'm yet to serve you. God, show me how. And then say yes. It's not, well, I'm going to start here and eventually I'm going to be on a podium in a stadium preaching to millions. Okay, because trust me, when I started preaching, I've had to go back to lots of people that listened to my early sermons and apologize that they had to sit through that. Okay, it's very different to what it is now. But you've got to have courage to say yes and the ability to learn. And often, it is the humbling times that make us learn the fastest. You see, we become so content with our struggles and our deficiencies and limitations, so much so that we've adjusted our life in Christ according to our standard and not Christ's standard. Come on, I don't have the education that somebody else has. I can't surely stand up there and preach. I don't have the finances that that person has. So how, I can't go to on a mission trip. So God, when everything is working the way I want it, oh, you've got me hook, line and sinker. But until then, well, best you keep fishing for somebody who can afford it, for somebody who can do it. You see, and we look at Luke 6, verse 6 to 11. That very scenario unfolds before Jesus. And it occurred on another Sabbath that when he went into the synagogue and taught, a man was present whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees kept watching Jesus to see whether he would actually heal on the Sabbath in order that they might get some ground for ac accusation against him. But he was aware all along of their thoughts. He said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here in the middle. And he arose and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, ask you, is it lawful and right on the Sabbath to do good so that someone derives an advantage from it or to do evil to save a life and to make a soul safe or to destroy it? Then he glanced around them as, around it all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored like new. Okay, so there's a man who's adjusted his lifestyle according to his withered hand. He's functional. He's okay. He just has a, a withered hand. But that's the life he's got. And that's the life he's going to carry on with. And so when he meets new people, he probably gives his left hand to shake and he puts his right hand in his pocket so nobody can feel uncomfortable around him. So he doesn't have to explain how he's sitting in church with all these, these learned people and his, his hand's not being changed. And so you find that he's probably sitting off on the back somewhere so he's not in the mainstream because he has a withered hand. And so, many of us are like that today. We'd rather stick to the, to the back benches because there's something withered in our lives. Whether it's a withered relationship, whether it's a withered dream, whether it's finances, whether whatever in your life is withered, those things that you sat here and prayed for, this man is in church. He's with the learned people. But he's never encountered the God who can, wants to heal him, who can heal him. And so he has a functional life, but he doesn't have a whole life. 
And so many of us sit here as functional Christians. I get up in the morning, I do my devotions, I pray, I do everything, I trust God. But that's where it stops. And so when I sit at the dinner table, I say, Grace, when, when I'm at Bible study or a small group or whatever we're doing, we, I can talk to talk. But I have my withered hand in my pocket. I'm not prepared to show them my weaknesses. I'm not prepared to show them my insecurities. It's a bit like my lager mentality thing. I'm going to put my withered stuff in my pocket and not, not show the world. And so we sit here as functional Christians, but as broken people. People who've accepted just a standard that's not God's standard. People who come to church and say, wait, God, I am waiting. God, why is my breakthrough not coming? But today God says to you, whatever is withered in your life, He wants to bring wholeness to you. He wants to bring restoration to you. But you see, Jesus says to the man, take your hand out your pocket and hold it up so that all can see. If you're not going to hold up that which is withered in the presence of God, He can't heal it. If you're going to keep concealing our brokenness, our weaknesses, our insecurities, Jesus can't move there. And so this is about opening the lager and letting God in. Coming to God and saying, I'm weak. I, I, I need to be real with you. Because only in that moment where, those people, where the disciples were waiting at Pentecost, they were waiting in obedience that God, that the Holy Spirit could move. And so today is the invitation to stop messing with God. We come to church every morning and say, today is my day. I'm going to experience God in a new way, but I'm not going to let Him know about my brokenness. I'm not going to let Him know that I had to choose today between putting money in the offering or feeding my family. And so when I go home this afternoon, I say, God, you know, every time I go to the church, they have a offering message that makes sense for me but God I have to choose between buying bread and milk and putting my money in the bag I have to choose whether my children go to bed hungry or not and I don't know if I can trust you enough to do that God I need a revelation of who you are I have a man who comes to my gate and has been coming to my gate for a long time who I help, who's homeless, who's unemployed and he's the most amazing guy. He's a man of God. And so we, we chat periodically. But you know, the other day he comes because people will give a sandwich. They'll give what is surplus in their house. He says to me, Freddie, it is cold. And I have food in my house. I can feed my children tonight. But I don't have paraffin to cook the food. And nobody will help me with money. And it takes a lot of courage to be real over a gate. But that's the kind of realness God's asking us for today. Does God know what your deepest needs are? Or have you, have you become so complacent, so, so professional or so adept at hiding it from everybody that we're even hiding our needs from God? Do we even know what our needs are? What is it in your life that holds you back? When the church issues an invitation, whether it's to home sale, whether it's to come and serve coffee, whether it's to come and reach out to the community. 
What are the things that says that you say that there's enough other people? I don't have to do that. Why? Or only go if there's a shortage of people. Because I'm not good enough. I think they can manage without me. And if I if I'm in community, somebody's gonna find out what my real struggles are. If I'm in community, I'm gonna drop my guard. Because you know, those people at frontline, they're, they're pretty amazing because they love people. And in that place of love, I'm gonna drop my guard. I'm gonna be embarrassed. Because you see, I have a, a past I'm not proud of. I have whatever it is that's holding us back. What is it in your life that makes you self-conscious? The thing that makes you functional but not effective. Today, Jesus invites us into that place to restore that which is withered. So let us step back from our doubt, our intellect, and allow God to move amongst us. Yes, one in Luke chapter 5, verse 7 to 20. One of those days as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village and town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present with him to heal them. And behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed, and they tried to carry him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him with his stretcher through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus. And when he saw their confidence in him springing forth their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. In both those stories we just read with Jesus, the power of God is there to heal. But in both incidents, only one man was healed. Because the religious leaders were there to try and find a moral compass, to try and trip him up, have an academic conversation with him, and to justify that which they know, and to get him to agree to their way of thinking. But in that space, there's a crowd that keeps those who are able to see that the power of God is present to heal from getting that which needs to be healed to him. Today, the power of God is present to heal you. Are you the one that can see it? Because if those four guys didn't look past the crowd, didn't look past the, the challenges ahead of them, they would not have seen the presence of God. And then when they saw the presence of God present to heal, they took a radical step and they broke out with the roof and they lowered him to Jesus' feet. <coughs> Today I'm inviting you. The presence of God is here to heal. But for some of you, it's going to take a radical act of faith to come and bring, be vulnerable, to be open, to be honest with God. It is fine, it is one thing when you are sick and you're needing a doctor. But when Christ says, I'm here to make you whole. And in that wholeness, He can release His Spirit, the fullness of what He intended for you. What radical act of faith do you need to take today? Whether it's for yourself, whether it's for your children, whether it's for your relationships, whether it's for your career, the invitation is to raise your hand, your withered hand. Whatever is raised withered in your life, God is saying today, I'm here to restore. When Jesus encountered the lame man who cried out to him, he said to him, do you want to be made whole? And he said to him, do you want to walk? And today, the invitation is to come to God. To be made whole. To let that which is withered in your life be restored.
And so as we close now, if you want to come to the front, we'll pray for you for wholeness. That God will move in the brokenness. That God will move in us insecurities. And that wholeness and healing will be your portion. So you're welcome to come now. As we pray. Just come now, Jesus. Come, Father God. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.